This episode of Casa de Cambio is brought to you by Mansa Wines. Casa de Cambio listeners can get 30% off individual bottles and make your own dozens, plus they're going to throw in free freight Australia-wide. Just use the code CAMBIO, C-A-M-B-I-O, at checkout to get your discount. Welcome to Casa de Cambio. Today on Casa de Cambio, I have a very special guest, Peter Lamb. Peter works in the Agile Transformation space. He heads up Claritas Consulting and he also supports Tabar with their community events such as Spark the Change. Welcome, Peter. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming in. It's such a pleasure to have you. Oh, no, I'm excited. I've listened to some of the early podcasts and I'm uh, excited to participate. Um. I usually start out by asking my guests, uh, what are you listening to podcast-wise? What are you watching on TV? What are you reading? So in terms of podcasts, I'm listening to your podcast now. So that's yes. been fantastic. Big um, gold star for Pete. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of books and things like that, I'm uh, revisiting some of the work around uh, Jason Little's Lean Change. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm spending a bit of time on uh, <coughs> Netflix. Um <laughs> What are you watching on Netflix? Uh, a mixture of things. I'm watching things like uh, trying to decode uh, Bill Gates' mind, which is fantastic. Oh, really interesting. What's that one about? Well, um, decoding Bill Gates' mind. Well, it doesn't necessarily touch so much about his time at Microsoft, but it touches upon what he's trying to do now and what he's trying to do to change the world. For instance, things like world sanitation, malaria eradication, all those kinds of things where he's applying the same approach that he took at Microsoft to solving the world's problems, which is pretty... Pretty compelling is probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, it's like managing change in real life. Truly. Using real life problems, not corporate or company problems. It's amazing. Correct. Next level of complexity. So it's pretty pretty awesome seeing um, someone that's quite wealthy, done very well for himself, trying to change the world because he doesn't see the action that he thinks governments should take and therefore he's taking it. Yeah, and... I mean, from what I can see with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is they are making real change because he has got so much money. So he has, he's pouring in the same amount of money as some governments mm-hmm. pour into their foreign aid and he's really bringing the best minds together. All right, I'm definitely going to watch that, maybe tonight. <laughs> it's worth watching. Um, also, things like something more um, relaxing like Peaky Blinders and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. that certainly goes really well as well. I've got to get into Peaky Blinders. So many people have recommended it to me and I keep seeing it on my... Netflix homepage and it's like a 98% match and I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I'll, I'll start that, I think, soon. Yeah, gangs and it just makes me want to be a gangster and never really been into the horse racing and things like that, but I'm watching those episodes now thinking, this is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah no, I'm going to give it a go. I'm definitely going to start it this week. Um, and well, before I ask about career advice, what are we drinking today? Shall we talk <laughs> about that? We should. We should certainly talk about it. I'm uh, having a bit of a, uh, a wine called One Mad Moment. It's a bit of a Shiraz Grenache. Mm, um, from McLaren Vale. It's pretty my good. My home state of SA. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you not know I'm from South Australia? No, no, no. I don't judge people from where they <laughs> come from. <Should laughs> you haven't known. heard me. You haven't picked up on my weird accent. I say Lego <laughs> instead of Lego. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't notice. Um, no, it's You good. still want to do the podcast? <laughs> well, I've got a bottle of wine here so yeah why not um, <laughs> but yeah it is the Mansa wines one mad moment um it is delicious and i'm sure as you heard 
in the promo, they are the sponsor of this week's episode of Casa de Cambio. So we have a discount code and I encourage you all to go out and buy a case. It is lovely South Australian wine. Not that I'm biased, but it is really good. Mm. Um, what was a piece of career advice you received that you f- would like to share or you thought was really, really helpful? I've had many pieces of advice um, that, I've, uh, that I've been given. I think the one that... Uh, resonated with me early in my career was um was one of my managers once said to me um that's great pete but do your job and make sure you nail that and that will give you credibility to tackle the next challenge Mm. and what was the context around that piece of advice well i think i was i was working in in the project space at the time and uh and was doing quite well but i saw some problems somewhere else another part of the business and had volunteered to help and She'd quite rightly said, "No, no, no. Focus. Get your bit sorted, and um, call out. That, you know, call out. And we know that there's another challenge over there, and we'll jump onto it next. But what you're doing is, you know, super critical right now. So get that fixed, and then we'll worry about that one next. And it's about just being really clear not to overcommit, and to uh, if you commit to do something, just do it. Mm, and I think if you can deliver on your thing, then you might get given the license to go and worry about some other problems." Um, I got a piece of feedback from my project sponsor on the last project I did and she said, you know, I really like that you get you do things really simply, meaning mm-hmm. you just get in and get it done in a way that's very easy. Mm-hmm. But she said you focus on change management and that's really good because <laughs> you actually just deliver on that really well. And I think um, I have seen people before, they fall into a trap of wanting to help with everything. Mm-hmm. They end up sticking their fingers in a lot of pies and then they deliver nothing. Mm-hmm. Or they're not delivering on their key mandate and they're delivering on other things mm-hmm. which maybe don't sit yeah. with them. So from a management perspective, yeah, that's good. I think it's it's particularly pertinent um, in the agile coaching and consulting space is that when you're given free reign to do lots of things as a coach, you put your fingers in many pies. But the reality mm. is not all levers are worth pulling. And I guess it's the experience that tells you which is the one you should do and which one you should run to the ground and which ones you shouldn't is going to deliver the most benefit to the customer. Because the other piece of advice that goes with it is that always do the right thing by the customer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It sounds really silly, but it's always... But it can get know. so lost sometimes when you... Correct. You know. Correct. But but at the end of the day, it's not about doing what is right for the politics. It's about saying, this is the best outcome for the company and this is why. And if you continue to anchor back on driving and aligning back to, to, to driving the strategy, then sometimes people will hate it, but generally people will respect it and they like it, mm. right? And if that's the motivation that you're trying to do the best thing you possibly can, then at least when you finish up your engagement or your project or whatever the case may be, you can leave and go, yeah, no, I've done the right thing by them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I do often say to other people that when you're a change manager you are often the voice of the customer or advocating for the customer on your project or doing whatever role you're doing because you need to be thinking about how is this benefiting our customer and also when you're thinking about how you're communicating things, you need to say, well, why are we doing this? And you probably wouldn't be surprised but maybe some listeners would be surprised the amount of times I've asked that question and we're halfway through a project. So, okay, what's the benefit? Why are we doing it? Uh, <laughs> tumbleweeds and I'm like okay well I need to tell people this because mm-hmm. once they understand why we're doing it then they'll get on board it's mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah it's like oh well you know 
this team is doing that and it's working. I said, oh, cool. Have you got some like metrics or, or you know, things you can share? Um, no, just that they're doing it. We don't have any metrics or any, you know, success statistics we can share. There's some very good pieces of advice. So today we're going to talk about agile transformations, which are so hot right now. Um, and you've worked on quite a few agile transformations in your time. So I wanted to pick your brain a little bit um, because I know there's a number of companies in Australia that are undergoing agile transformations. Um, So I I think firstly, I would want to ask you, why would a company undergo an agile transformation in the first place? Great question. I think think everyone talks about um, uh, things like... uh, uh, volatility, the uncertainty, the speed of a change and oh, all that kind of stuff. the VUCA environment. Yeah, everyone talks about it. I don't know if everyone necessarily understands what it means. Um, but I think I think many organisations kind of realise that the way they currently work does not work in the new, inverted commas, in the near future, right? And I think that they are seeking a way to change their organisation so they can compete. So they become, if you like, match fit. So if I look at organisations like, and you look at, say, the banking industry, for instance, Mm. um, we have a number of sort of fintechs that people talk about, like, you know, the Judo Bank or Thena Home Loans and things like that have launched, run by ex-bankers who've been very, very successful in their banking careers, have left and gone, that doesn't make sense, and set up an alternative, Mm. right? And companies are leaning in and, or, you know, joining them and working with them because it seems to make more sense. So I think that, as more and more that comes through is, you know, Facebook's lost its own currency, there's all this stuff that's moving around that's changing the banking world, all of a sudden it starts, people are starting to realise, well, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense for us to take months or years to launch a product, given that our competitors can spin up new products in, in a matter of weeks, mm. right? And I think the reason to transform is that they want to be able to compete in the new world as, 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 as their competitors get more and more aggressive um, I don't think they have a choice. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that's a good answer. I mean, and it is a very disruptive activity to put an entire company through an agile transformation. Mm-hmm. So I guess is it worth all of that disruption and time and, you know, downing tools for a period while we sort through? <laughs> oh, um, I don't know is the answer. Um, yeah. I think it depends on the strategy and that the company's trying to take. I think that if there's a requirement for us to right-size and and I think one of the problems that we have is that everyone's a lot of com- larger companies are tied agile transformations to headcount reductions. And I don't think that's necessarily the intent of agile, but mm. certainly that's how they've paired it together and they've, uh, they've sort of conflated the two and as a result they're saying, we're going to slim down our, our organisation, we'll better respond faster, work we'll faster. we do the same amount of work with less people. Correct, which is probably a bit of a misnomer because that is not about doing the same amount of work with less people. It's about focusing on the stuff that matters and the stuff with the most value, right? So, so yeah, it's, a, it's, it's interesting to see how it works. I think if we, if, we, if we look at the largest companies in the world, a lot of them are you know, nominally agile. Mm. A lot of them are born agile, so the Googles of the world. Spotify. Spotify, yep. uh, Netflix, pseudo born agile and things like that. Um, yeah, because they're such new companies. They've only been around for 15 or 20 years, so they're not tied to the shackles of whatever, correct. you know, 
they were in the past. Correct. Mm. And I think the exception to the rules are being things like Microsoft, for instance, who's been undergoing an agile transformation for the last 10 years and uh, is one of the largest companies in the world at the moment. So I think I did not know that. Oh, hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, and I think what, what, we're, what we're seeing is that there seems to be a bit of premium on companies that have what uh, Steve Denning calls the strategic agility because they have an ability to respond to change, they have an ability to find product market fit, they have, a, uh, they have an ability to um, – they may not be the innovator in the market, but they can be a very, very fast follower. Mm. Right, and I think that's actually one of the keys here. And I think certainly historical sort of studies would suggest it's not the innovators that make the most money; it's actually the fast followers that can scale. So it's about you know what is the strategic game you're trying to play, right? And it's about how do you how do you then execute against it, right? And I think that's and the speed at which you can execute. Because if if you think about something like you know, Pokemon Pokemon Go that was launched, they had hundreds of millions of users within yeah, twenty days. They went crazy. Correct, correct. And if you think about uh, and that's just a uh, B2C sort of consumer. Did they make a lot of money? Yes, they did and all that kind of stuff. But if you think about just the sheer speed that things can flow through, there is, you know, if in a traditional organisation, by the time you identified Pokemon Go as a competitor to the time that you actually had your steering committee to talk about it before and then you had to make a decision about it. And Pokemon then you had goes, to write a business case. Yep. <laughs> They're, you know, 20, 30, 40 million users down the track and catch me if you can, right? It's too late. So I think... I think the shift is occurring and I think certainly in the, you know, the financial services, fintech space, I think in the telco space there's enormous changes coming. I think the insurance mm. space, that's happening as well. So there's, there's there is the whole, I think it's an extension of your digitisation sort of concept about how do you use technology to change the way that you do work. Um, and that's ended many, many things. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's great. Um, so... Some very compelling reasons as to why a company might want to undergo that sort of transformation. So when a company decides that they do want to undergo an agile transformation, what types of activities might they do? I think there's um, lots, of, lots of different things that, 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 that organisations do. I mean, if you talk about the traditional sort of change type approaches, they do lots of training, they do awareness campaigns, they do a bit of restructuring, they do a whole bunch of that kind of stuff, if you like. Um, and then down the track sort of start to proclaim that they're doing Agile and then they're going to become Agile and then when they be Agile they'll, you know, take over the world. So I think I don't, I, I think the path to, to, to agility in many cases for lots of organisations is training, awareness um, and then restructuring the organisation to align. So change management, is that what you would we're have thought describing? <laughs> <laughs> you would have thought change management would play a pretty, central role in that you're trying to shift the way people work, the way they behave, the way they communicate, engage and collaborate with each other. Upskill them because there's often capability gaps in, in terms of what the desired future state is versus the current state. I think people underestimate the shift that's required in both behaviours and also skills. So there's absolutely an upskilling required because if you didn't need upskilling, then the reality is you probably already are agile. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, word. Oh my god, it's so profound. Um, yeah. So, what are some of the challenges? I mean, you kind of touched on this in your last response, but what are some of the challenges a company might face when trying to become more agile, undergoing an agile transformation? I think it's a recognition that um, whether they admit it or not, the recognition of the lack of underinvestment they've had in their people for the last number of decades. Mm. 
right? I think I think that's that's one of the key challenges you need to lean in because if you're talking about you know agile techniques and agile skills and incremental delivery and all this kind of stuff, be it tech or business. From a technology standpoint, a lot of the techniques that we teach today have existed since the 90s. And the Mm. reason why they don't use it is they don't know how to or aren't able to. Or they're not aware of its existence. Correct. So they're, you know, some people, some organisations are 20 years behind where the thinking is at the moment, Mm. right? Um, And I think that there's a gap, that gap you've got to bridge somehow, some, you know, in some way. And Agile's not about how quickly we can teach or how much we tell people and how much we sort of change on the surface. It's A lot of it comes back to how quickly the individuals and the organisation can learn. And it's about learning new processes, new approaches, new techniques, learning new behaviours, new ways to, to, to break in our problems and decomposing problems and new ways to solve them. And all of a sudden, they're all new experiences and things they've got to bring to the table. And, um, yeah, there's, that takes time to learn. And when you're going out there and you're actually running these workshops and you're coaching people on the new techniques and tools, um, do you find that most people are very open to it and really wanting to learn and wel- welcoming that investment? I think I think everyone that I've run into what is learning and wants to learn and wants to change as fast as they can, right? However, there is also a thing where I think a lot of organisations have started the process of doing Agile and probably haven't done it as well as they could have. And then there's a whole bunch of collection of bad habits that sort of creep in that you didn't have to realign. And I think that's where the problem typically calls into, if that makes sense. So my favourite expression to ban in most organisations is this concept of an MVP or minimum viable <laughs> product. Now, there's multiple <laughs> definitions of it. Um, I love saying MVP. <laughs> I say it all the time. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but everyone goes, oh, it's an MVP. So, okay, what does that mean? And I've had relatively senior people draw out big pictures of what they want and this is what we're going to build, this is the scope and, you know, these are all the things we must have and that's our MVP. And I said, that's great. Where does really? It? Yeah, correct. And you oh. <laughs> I'm so, okay. Yeah, And then right. you sort of go, okay, so where's the customer? When are you going to ask the customer about what they want? <laughs> and they go, oh. What? <laughs> Ah, we're building the product. We'll tell them what they're going to buy. I know what my customers want. I yeah, just correct. talk to myself. <laughs> but this, but it comes back to, and, and certainly in the classes and the workshops and all that, we sort of start to unpick what an MVP is. And we sort of ask the question, so, so, so what, you know, have you read any of the books that describe MV, MVP? And they go, no, 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 I know what it is, you know. It's an acronym a, that I heard that yeah, I'm that's just right. repeating. Yeah, correct. And um, oh and, and that creates one of the actual great core issues and risks that you have in this Agile transformation space is people have just simply relabeled what they're currently doing. We're Agile. We're doing MVPs. You mean, have you talking to, spoken to a customer yet? You mean you're writing a business case? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a waterfall business case? <laughs> yeah, so, and, and, and it becomes deeply... So, so you've got this sort of approach where people have adopted certain practices and pieces of Agile but aren't actually doing it but believe they're Agile. So that's sort of one sort of bubble of challenge mm. that you lean into. I think the second sort of bubble that you have, and I think it's a deeper one that's a bit harder to deal with, is that you have executives have certain expectations placed on them by shareholders and by board boards, right? They want firm commitments and quarterly updates on what they're going to do, earnings guidance and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, that cascades back down to us saying, well, we need to know exactly what you're going to deliver and what are the benefits going to ship in the next 12 weeks. And from an Agile project, certainly in a mature Agile environment, you can sort of predict a lot of that. 
Mm. But when you're trying to start off the journey, it's almost like you've got waterfall reporting and you've got the agile ways of working and the two bits sort of don't connect very well. So that was actually one of my questions that I wanted to ask you is, do leaders adopt the agile ways of working or do they ask for the same type of stuff that they're used to seeing? And how, if they do, which... I think we both know they do Um, because that's a challenge that I've faced Mm -hmm. is, you know, I've been trying to do things agile and somebody says, you know, I want a 58th slide change plan and I'm like, I can do a change canvas because we're agile and -hmm. I can do it for this sprint or this, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever chunk of work we're doing and they just, you know, it's blank stares and they're like, so when will you give me the change plan? And I'm like, (laughs) oh my God. Um, (laughs) So what, what advice would you give to listeners to and how to navigate that when you're making that shift to Agile and you're trying to adopt the new ways of working but you're getting some mixed messages from your leaders. Um, I've, I don't think there is any magical advice. I think this is, a, this is, this is certainly something that's strong that you need to have um, in terms of your change skills, right? And I think one of the things you sort of think about is that it's not about whilst I appreciate the executive and, and sponsors are demanding certain sets of reports – is about going to the next level of detail and understanding why that's the case. You know, what is the problem they're trying to solve? What is the information they need? What is the certainty that they need, right? And I think it, from an agile transformation standpoint, we typically touch a lot on, you know, processes. We start to talk a lot about technologies. We talk about ways of working. But one thing we don't necessarily touch upon as much as we should is around, you know, people's stages of sort of human development, right? Because at the end of the day... If an executive is under enormous pressure to deliver something, they want data and information that makes them feel comfortable that it's going to happen, right? And and sort of wrap like a cloak around them. And a lot of that comes down to their personal comfort and confidence in the change. And a lot of it comes down to their personal knowledge of what's actually happening. And I think that that's something that we as, you know, in the transformation space probably don't lean into enough by virtue of the fact it takes a lot of time it takes a bit of a human sort of centred view of the world and it certainly takes a great deal of effort to sort of unpick and have a conversation with leaders about saying, so why are you scared about this? Help me understand how this is, right? They've made commitments to board and that's fine, but then how do we help them meet their commitments without, you know, resorting to try and true... Sacrificing the new ways of working. Correct, correct. You know, the red, amber, green reports that, you know, let's be fair, if red, amber, green reports worked on things like projects... We'd know that, um, you know, 70% of IT projects wouldn't fail, right? So, <laughs> but it's something they're comfortable with because they have a large set of PowerPoints that tell them that it's working, right? Mm-hmm. Until it's too late and mm. then they change request it. Easy done. <laughs> Whereas Agile is about trying to flush out the risk and the, and the issues and the commentary early. And once it's flushed out, now you're trying to have a conversation about it. Well, then they have to lean into the issues that they should have dealt with anyway, right? If that makes sense. Yep. Agile doesn't is not a silver bullet to fix the fact you have politics in the organisation. It doesn't have a magic bullet that fixes the chronic underinvestment you have made in your you know, technical systems or in your people. All it does is really blatantly highlight where the gap is. The leaders have to do the next bit, which is then what are we going to do about it, which ones are going to fix, which ones how are we going to prioritise it, and which ones are going to do first for whatever the commercial business strategic reason they have is. And that's kind of where they, you know, that's where they bring their strategic insight to the table and help support the transformations to be successful. Cool. Great. Um, so when you're leading or coaching um, companies with their agile transformations, do you use lean change tools such as 
the lean change canvas or strategic change canvas or lean coffees and things like that? Look, I think um, I do. I am a strong uh, believer in the lean change approach, and I think where lean change and some of the what, for lack of a better word, some of the more traditional change approach is sort of focus is lean change is about trying to bring the people that are impacted into the conversation as early as possible mm. and start the conversation about and that we use the word co-creation we use the word where we're trying to get them involved to help shape the change and shape how it lands to give them the best benefit as much as possible so anything that opens up that conversation to me makes a lot of sense so things like being really transparent and having uh, lean change canvases that articulate the type of change what it is and why putting it on a wall so anyone that walks past can see it is, you know, we're not we're not trying to do secret squirrel stuff here. We're just trying to, you know, make the place a better place and we're trying to work together on it. It's about when you're running things like Lean Coffee is giving an opportunity for everyone that's involved to prioritise what they want to talk about or hear about or listen. Mm-hmm. It's about trying different communication methods. It's about shifting away from the the weekly or monthly sort of change email that comes out that everyone just ignores. You know, I've worked in organisations where they've we've had change people where they've both done the email, they've done printouts, and you you know, and they put them out at eight in the morning, and you sort of wander by at nine o'clock in the morning, and the the change communication that they've slaved so hard over is in the bin, right? Because mm. everyone's just seen it, yeah, whatever, let's throw it out. I'm not interested <laughs> because it's not relevant to me, right? And with the Kanban boards, um, or you know, visibility and stuff like that, I worked in an organisation last year. And every single available wall space was taken up with people's projects and care vans and <laughs> it almost became like... Um, a joke? Well, it wasn't a joke, no. but it, what I'm trying to say is it was almost like white noise for your eyes in that there was just so much stuff, you kind of stopped seeing it. Correct. So is there like a way that you can avoid that happening and that everyone was putting making their stuff so visual that people just stopped looking at the walls? Visualisation is one of the key things within the Agile space, I guess, is what, is mm. what I would argue. I think it is possible, in my personal view, to have too many things on the wall. And the reason for that is that when you're looking at a wall, the human brain can process a number of things, maybe five, six, seven, and beyond that it starts to struggle. So yep. it starts to lose its meaning um, as you get the volume. And, and I think the word white noise that you use is quite a good one. It does certainly become white noise. I think... Where the walls become important is that you know when you're having an issues ward just outside where the exec's office is, and every time they walk in and out, <laughs> they get to see mm. their name associated mm. with an activity that they need to do. It you know it's a not so subtle reminder that they need to do it, right? And that's helpful in that regard. Yeah, and I think you raise a good point in that. Even in that situation, I was always looking at the walls that were relevant to my work and Mm -hmm. what was going to impact me and what I was doing. And I think you're right. Managers and executives would do the same thing. They would like them to do the same thing. Whether they do or not is a slightly different question. (laughs) Um, So, hmm, I've asked that question. Oh, what are some examples of successful agile transformation or maybe even taking a step back from that? What does success look like because I feel like in Australia at the moment we've got some really big well-known Australian companies currently undergoing their agile transformations and we're hearing some really positive um, things in the media but I think like I'm watching them very closely and I'm waiting to see what happens what are some early indicators of success or what would success look like for an agile transformation I think that's a really tough question because it depends you don't trans I'm you asking don't the hard <laughs> questions on <laughs> Casa de Cambio you're not 
you're not doing an agile transformation for the sake of being agile, right? That's not. It's it's like talking about Prince Two. You don't talk about we're doing a Prince Two transformation because we want to be more Prince Two. It's got to be about an outcome that you're trying to drive as a business, right? And and if you take the human side, it's about recognizing that people want to cartwheel into the office every day and do good stuff, right? At the end of the day, the, one of the key shifts that we're seeing in the industry is that in the old days, the, the decisions were made, well, let me rephrase it, even in current days, in traditional organisations, the executives had the power made the decisions and the people um, were the minions that did the work, right? The shift today is that the knowledge workers are closest to the customers and the best data available to them. So we're trying to shift decision-making to support customers to them and allows them to respond to change and to competitive movements more quickly, right? So that... That in its own sense makes sense. And that drives a level of empowerment which sort of ties into this whole sort of knowledge worker stuff that we've got going on at the moment, right? So I think I think having people happy to come to work has got to be a measure of a successful agile transformation. The problem that you have is that if you look at the Gallup research, 60, 70, 80% of people are completely dis, you know, disaffected by the work they do. So in terms of agile transformations, mm. is it working? Not yet. And it might be too early to tell in the case of some of the Australian ones because mm. I think while they're undergoing so much change and disruption and, you know, like you were saying before, restructures and new jobs and being mm-hmm. reorganised into missions and squads or tribes or mm-hmm. whatever they're calling it, traditionally, you know, when you're going through change, if you ask someone at the time a change goes live or right before, they'll be like, no, I hate it. But then a few months or a year after it's been implemented, they'll be like, oh, my God, it's so much better and I can't even imagine doing things the old way. Yeah, but Natasha, I'll shift it to you the other way, is that they feel concerned about the change that's coming to them because they haven't been communicated to, they haven't been supported, and change is happening to them and not mm. engaged in it, right? Yeah. So so I think that whilst it's true that when people go through the change, they're typically uh, not comfortable with it, but that doesn't mean we can't support them, make them feel comfortable through the change process. And I think that's actually one of the key tricks, of, in my mind, of a successful change um, program is that the people that are being impacted by the change feel engaged, feel supported, and are working to support the change. Whether whether you know whether they have a role at the end or not, it's a different issue. But they're aligned and engaged to support it to go through. And I think to me that's a sign of a great change transformation going Absolutely. through. Absolutely. And then that lays the foundation for a very successful culture going forwards because they know that they are here to support the company and the organisation and its goals and they support mm. people around it. And I think Netflix kicked it off. Uh, many years ago with the Netflix culture deck, which they uh, which, which has been tagged by Sheryl Sandberg as one of the most important decks to come out of uh, the Silicon Valley. And they commonly talk about, we will pay you to leave if you don't want to be here. Wow. Right? Because they only wanted people that were committed to the journey at the time. Right? And that, com- you know, so then when you go into the office, everyone who's there wants to be there. Everyone wants mm. to drive the organisation's mission. And I think that's a very different culture to many of the organisations that that we have here in Australia today. Yeah, and I think what you were saying before about um, people being on board and understanding why, it does help them get through that part where they're learning the new skills and they're upskilling because that Mm -hmm. is a time of uncertainty. Correct. And if they're really, um, you know, have been supported, have a good understanding of the vision Mm -hmm. and the strategy and they can go, okay, it's going to be a little Mm -hmm. bit uncomfortable for the next few months but we're going to get there, Mm -hmm. then... It's, it's good, but, yeah, if they don't have that, and I think you're right, um, we could do a lot better at that in Australia. 
Yeah, but if you think about it, and, and don't get me wrong, there are some companies in Australia, particularly some of the more digital companies, some of the smaller ones are doing incredibly well. So let's, let's recognise that. And Certainly my focus is predominantly on corporates and large government agencies, right? But the challenge that you have is that if you're going to do this mythical, agile thing and you're going to magically make things better, you, the people remain, in, to all intents and purposes, the same. The thing that changes around them is the system of work or the way of work. Mm. which is set up by the people who are typically driving the change, right? So there's an inherent, whether they acknowledge it or not, there's an inherent problem here in that the way we do things and the system, the controls, the processes, and all these policies we're putting into place are the ones we're trying to shift, mm. right? Yeah, the person who created it is the one that's saying, well, it doesn't work, or they just follow my process better or works better. Well, sorry, guys, that's actually not how it works. Mm. We have to shift the system of work to allow the teams and teams, teams of people to stand up and allow them to do what they're good at to, to untangle problems with customers and create, you know, features that our customers want to use. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Netflix and their culture deck. Are there any other examples out there of successful agile transformations? I think, um, I think there's a lot of companies that are born agile. So we commonly talk about things like Spotify and they're born agile. Mm. We talk about Google and they've certainly, I don't know if they necessarily were born agile, but they certainly talk about um, some of the early studies were around can we get rid of managers? And mm. they proved to themselves they couldn't. In fact, you know, high-performing teams required a really good manager and that led them down a whole new research path. I love all path, the experiments you know. and research that they do on you know, teamwork and leadership. Yep. It's great. Google high-performing teams. Um, as I often tell the people that I work with, it's it's free, it's online, it's research-backed um, about how to be a good manager, how to mm. build great teams, and, you know, I think everyone should read it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's one of my favourite articles of all time is yep. the Google research piece on the high-performing team. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. So I think I think there's lots of companies that have done really well. put that in the show notes. You should absolutely do that. Um, I don't think enough people read it. Um, I think... And I, I say again, it's free and it's research-backed and it's really simple to use. Like, what else do you want? If you want to become a better people leader, this is pretty good, right? Um, I think a lot of other organisations we talk about who've made the, the agile transformation, we talk about people like um, like ING and they've been on the journey mm. for about 10 years. Because um, it seems as though a couple of the really big agile transformations in Australia are based on the ING transformation. I think they've tried to. Well, they learn, tried to base themselves tried, on it. <laughs> they've tried to learn lessons from it, taking shortcuts from it. I think, I think it's fair to say that if you talk to people that've been part of the, their journey, they did a radical technology simplification piece first, which then led to management shifts, and they had multiple streams of managers, and the board that that sort of picked it um, had a really good insight. Right, they didn't go agile for the sake of going agile. That was not the goal. What they found is that when they went a trip on the Silicon Valley, they found that the number one competitor for them was not going to be another bank. The competitor to them was going to be a Google or Facebook. So yeah, we right. needed to deploy against faster than they can. We need to be able to change as quickly as they can. So what's the best way that to do it? That would be a scary thing to find out, actually. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a bank thinking, oh, I'm just competing against other banks, we're all yep. slow. But... But again, I go back, and I mentioned this earlier, so Facebook launched its own currency. Now, I'm not saying it's whether it's right or it's wrong, whatever the case may be, but if it gets legs... People need to sit up and take note of that kind of stuff. Correct. You yeah. can now whether trade... Whether it has legs or not. Correct. Yeah. You can trade outside of the controls of the RBA and any of the other regulatory institutions we have that protect us. Like, this is pretty big, 
right? Mm. Um, like a world currency. Like, yes, we're pegged against the US at the moment, but no reason why we can't be pegged against the Chinese in due course if they if they become the biggest econ- uh, economy. But again, there's no reason why we can't be pegged against a Facebook dollar or a Google mm. dollar, given how dominant mm. they are as well, right? So that so these things are entirely possible inverted commas, right? And I appreciate there's a lot of regulatory burdens, but this is now opening up a whole world of conversation now about saying, well, you know, now that the regulations have changed that allow you to switch bank accounts more easily in Australia and things like that, you've got mm. the um, the new payments platforms that makes instantaneous payments and things like that. Now, the path has opened up to enormous competition for a bank. And the Spotify team, leadership team, the board saw it much earlier and they started the process of they acquired a, a competitor, they had a simpler product set, so they rationalised their product set, modernised their technology and went through multiple layers or multiple waves of transformation and it took them somewhere between seven and ten years, I think, to get there. Right? Mm. And uh, it's still going, you say? Always still going. So everyone looks at the Spotify engineering videos and they talk about the Spotify model and that was true probably, I think it was 2012, 2014 when it was released. But their model's no longer like that. Mm. Right, they've evolved again to suit their business, mm. and the Spotify model works well given that they had a European culture, which focused on you know um, inclusion. It focused on the individual. It focused on the primacy of the the talent they had. It focused on the fact that they were building a music streaming player, right? And mm-hmm. they focused on a highly modernised um, technology application that they built, right? So they modernised it, made it simpler to decouple the risk, and then they then went down this path. Now. Copying an operating model without copying the behaviours, the values and the culture that made it successful probably suggests that you're not going to be as successful as they are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not a copy and paste. Like it's really and, – and I think people conceptually understand it, but many organisations still copy and paste it. Yeah. Right? And they assume that they're going to get the right outcome. Maybe. Mm. Yeah, good point. Um, and and like, what, like you just said, we're already several years behind and I think it is the right thing to do to go and look at what is global best practice, especially for us in Australia. We mm-hmm. can have a tendency to be very inward looking. So Indeed. I think it's a good idea to go out and say, okay, who's doing the best, you know, in the world and mm-hmm. what can we take from that? But, yeah, you have to really think carefully about how you're going to apply it to your own business. Correct. But if you if you think about it more, um, um, more holistically, for instance, I'm um, – I'm definitely not a uh, Olympic athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but if I if I looked at what Michael Phelps did, the American swimmer that won all these awards, and the mm. fact he had twelve rashers of bacon, twenty four eggs, and yeah. toast and waffles for breakfast every day, yeah, sure I can st- you know. And then he did this you know you know seven, eight, nine, ten hours of training and all that. Mm. Right? I, I can turn around and go, sure I can copy and paste that lifestyle my you know in my life. Let me have the 12 rashes of bacon for breakfast, but let me just ignore the training bit, right? <laughs> and then I'll get really disappointed when I don't win all the gold medals at the Olympics. <laughs> correct, correct. But but that's exactly what you're trying to do in when you're trying to copy a model, but you're not trying to copy the culture. Mm. And don't forget the Europe. So they so Spotify commonly talks about this concept of guilds, which is where you prefer to to build and improve your skills. The, the challenge is European cultures guilds for, for many, many years where they have like the leather guild, the metalworking guild, the stonemason mm. guild and all that kind of stuff where you learn your skills as a apprentice, you become a, I think it's a journeyman next and then you become a master or, or, or you know, and then you become a whatever happens next after that. And this concept of cr- building your craft is well enshrined in their culture. But mm-hmm. if you take it back to Australia, we don't have guilds no. like that. 
and this concept of craftsmanship. You just go and have a crack. Yeah, we have a crack. We give everything <laughs> out. And that, in fact, that's what makes Australia really strong. That's also it? good, but <laughs> in a different way. Has well, each have pros and cons. Correct. But but again, this this concept of software craftsmanship, you know, from a technology standpoint, or the years of practice required to become an expert at something, is something that, that takes time. It's something that their model recognises and applies off an existing culture that they had. But... Again, copying that without having that concept of saying we need to improve our skills to be the best we can be at whatever skill set we're practicing, be it cons, be it change, be it software, be it whatever, mm. you know, this is an intrinsic part of their model which probably doesn't get cut and paste very well back into the Australian context. Yeah, yeah, excellent point. Um, I also wanted to ask you when companies are undergoing an agile transformation – are they engaging change managers? Is it being solely run by agile coaches? What's the mix? Uh, great question. I think um, I think change management is underrepresented in a lot of these initiatives, rightly or wrongly. I I think that um, certainly change, whilst it was part of teams in you know your your more traditional waterfall style or your SDLC style delivery. I think change was always underrepresented in that sort of part of the world, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. I think as we shift to this agile ways of working, I think we're seeing dominance led by the project space. We're seeing the odd agile coach lead it. Surprisingly, not as often as you expect. We see HR mm. lead the change because they see this agile as being a simply an OD, an organisational design piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you don't normally see change or people-related sort of um, skills front and centre with the change. Yeah, because I've met, and we were talking about this before we hit record, but I've met, I've come across a number of agile coaches who have, you know, gotten into um, or tried to teach themselves and upskill themselves about change management because they've found themselves in positions where they're doing an agile transformation and they're, they're leading change or managing change and they're like, oh, what do I do? Um, and I'm interested to know, well, another thing that I'm seeing, actually, I'm not just going to ask you the question, I don't know, some of the answers, I'll have some points of view. Another thing I'm seeing is that in this new agile world, I feel like change management is being disrupted by agile and that change managers sometimes are seen as part of the, I'm using air quotes, the old way of doing things, i.e. the waterfall way, which I don't think, I think is ironic because change managers are also not included in the waterfall way of doing things mm-hmm. by, you know, your prints twos and your PM box. Mm-hmm. So do you have any advice for change practitioners on how they can step into the agile space? Because it is hard. Um, a lot of people are asking for agile experience. I'm lucky enough to have worked on quite a few agile projects. So I'm able to, you know, um, bring that experience to the table and, but, yeah, what would you say to a change manager who, say, only worked on waterfall projects? Get involved and get involved early. Um, yeah. It's, I think the, the change from using your sort of um, sequence or your sort of waterfall-style delivery versus agile delivery is, you know, it's quite substantial, both from a um, delivery, you know, delivery management perspective, from a technical perspective. But often from a change management perspective, it's not, right? So what I say to change managers all the time is, how often have you begged your project leaders or your program director to do a pilot rather than do a big bang, go live to everyone? And how often have you written a comms plan and not 
updated it or changed it based on what you've learned. Like that's agile, right? I think I think I think you're right in that. Um, as one change manager once said to me, is that um, if 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 change managers aren't doing human centered design, then what on earth are you doing? Because mm. you're here to do and work with people, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 I think that change managers and, and I'll sort of quote Jason a little a little bit at the moment is he talks about how change managers are actually agile coaches that just need a little bit more skilling and they can be unleashed on the world. Because mm. if I reflect on what we spoke about earlier, there's absolutely process-based change, there's absolutely there's technology-based change, but there's an enormous amount of behaviour change, right? Mm. And, you know, sometimes we talk about mindset and behaviour, but I'm a big fan of behaviour rather than mindset. So let's focus on measuring and tweaking people's behaviours because we can see it and measure it. And that kind of sits, I would have thought, sat in the domain of change managers, right? So I think change management has a massive role to play that they're not perhaps seen to be able to play or they're certainly not involved right now in a I'm, lot of I'm the I'm going to say a lot of change managers are maybe not stepping or leaning in, to quote Cheryl Sandberg, who was mentioned earlier, or they're not um, taking the opportunity, maybe because they're a bit scared or they feel like they don't know enough about Agile. Um, but I think that a lot of change managers could step in there and get in there a bit bit more. Should we all be going out and getting our Agile coach certifications? Look, I think there's there's certainly an element where you could could certainly do that. I think I think that it would certainly broaden the sets of skills that you have. But I think that the it also plays down some of the existing skills you should have as a change manager. Mm. Because your focus is on people and your focus is on supporting people to help them transition to you know adopting new technologies new ways of working and all these kinds of things then they're a core skill for what um what agile practitioners are trying to to do so so mm. learning about coaching to be fair most change managers should actually be relatively skilled at coaching already right because yeah. kind of that's your core job yeah right? so do you need to learn more about agile sure yes, certainly makes sense definitely too, right <laughs> yeah you know it's just like if you need to do um, do change management on SharePoint, would you learn how to use SharePoint? Probably. Yeah. At least they can have a conversation about what the current state is and what the future state is, right? So I think there's certainly a lot of benefits of learning about Agile, but I think getting a whole bunch of certifications Agile possibly doesn't make as much sense as getting experience. And I mean, you and I both know there's a lot of people out there with a lot of certifications who might still not be awesome at their jobs. I've come across one or two. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people who have ProSize certifications or PMP mm-hmm. and you're like, wow, mm-hmm. that was a waste of money. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I, I frequently harp back to one of the largest studies that I've seen on project management, um, which I think was done by IBM. And it must have been thousands, tens of thousands, if not more, project managers. And they didn't actually find over a period of five years any correlation between people with PMPs or certifications, and project success. <sighs> surprise, surprise. Okay, I'm going to dig that up and put it in the show yeah, notes. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait to read that. It took me a while to find it. It took me a long time to find it, actually, I've got to say. Because when you, when you start to unpack it a little bit more, you're starting to go, well, it's important that you have knowledge. Training is important, but certification is not, is what we commonly say. We want, you know, and, and we support as coaches, you know, Agile, you've got to learn lots of stuff, so absolutely get out there and learn stuff. Right, um, but the certificate's important sometimes, mm. you know, to, to as an entry box to a job. But the certification isn't everything. Mm. Okay, 
So as change managers, if I can paraphrase our conversation, we should be definitely trying to upskill ourselves and learn about Agile in whatever ways we deem necessary, but really getting mm-hmm. into the Agile projects and taking it, you know, putting our hands up, taking a seat at the table on those projects and learning Absol- by doing. Absolutely, you need to learn by doing. I think that there's certainly, um, there is a bit of a gap at the moment in in trying to um, provide the right sets of skills for people in the um, change space as it relates to Agile. So some of the stuff that I'm working with, Jason Littlon, who I talk about, who, who authored a book called Lean Change Management, is that I talk to people <laughs> about lean change <laughs> all the time. And you know another thing? I'm still telling people about it. Like in 2019, I've been mentioning it to change practitioners that haven't heard of it. Oh, wow. Whereas you and I think, oh, it's, you know, it's leanchange.org. It's been around (laughs) for like, and it's a a book that you can see. It's in my bookcase. It's right there. You can see? Yeah, there it is. is. (laughs) Because I actually, I reference it all the time. And I go to the website and look for ideas, you know, Mm -hmm. quite regularly. So I recommend it to others. But yeah, there's still huge amounts of people who are not aware of it. Yep, and, and the new version of Lean Change, which should be released early next year. <gasps> it's a two-day course um, and it ties it more tightly to, to a group called IC Agile, which is one of the global sort of Agile certification bodies and it allows a bit of a certification as one of the pathways towards enterprise coaching, right? So it's 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 geared a little bit, you know, in the past I've run masterclasses or done the foundational I've done your masterclass. Course. It was great. Thank you. I found it very – no, I found it really useful because that was what – that's how I met you. That's, That's where we right. met. That's I right. did your masterclass. Oh my god, right. that was that must have been like three, four years ago. It's been a few years. That's right. Yeah, because I had um, worked on agile projects, and that was the first thing that I had come across that was a way to learn some theory, but also some practical um, tools and techniques on how to do change in an agile environment. Because I kind of had just gone, okay, I think I'm going to do this and this, and you know, without knowing if it was correct and so I actually found your masterclass really and I've that's another thing I recommend when people mm-hmm. say I need to learn about agile change I'm like go and do the lean change certification if you can do a masterclass or the two-day mm-hmm. that's probably one of the most useful things out there oh thank you um the two-day the new two-day course and I'm currently going through it at the moment I'm pretty excited because I think it structures a lot better I think it um it pulls in lots of stuff um and lots of the experience that Jason has in in the enterprise coaching space and it ties it in with some of the agile fundamental knowledge pieces that you need and also tumbles in with this experience in change. So I think it's a better course now and it's more comprehensive, which I'm quite excited by. Yeah. And I mean, so it should be. They should be update If they weren't updating their courses and, you know, bringing the latest tools and techniques based on what they learnt, then are they uh, even qualified to deliver a lean change course? <laughs> <laughs> no, it does get updated with research on a regular basis. Um, you know, the, the, the work that's been put in the background has been substantial but this is a major shift certainly in my view it's a major shift and I'm quite excited because Mm. I think it starts to help bridge that sort of coach to change and the change to to agile sort of space and I think that's quite helpful because I think I think as as with all things the answer lies somewhere in the middle right and I think the to to do agile without respecting the human side I think is deeply problematic Mm. um and that's where um, – and there's certainly a lot of conversation in the Agile community around what they call dark Agile or fake Agile, faux Agile. And it's Ooh, all about – Faux Agile? Yeah. No, it doesn't no, quite no, work, it's does faux it? Faux as in F-A-U-X. Faux Agile. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm trying to make like a benefit, like a little uh, word. No. It didn't work. No. Let's just pretend I never said that. There's a rage around the Agile industrial complex and a few other bits and bobs. But what 
what they're coming back to is that you implement the agile practices and tools, you get the transparency, and then you use the transparency to market and manage the teams, right? Which kind of defeats this whole empowerment thing. Mm. So actually shifts it the other way and becomes more Tayloristic in terms of management. So that's deeply problematic. So 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 I think I think change has some great you know skills and stories to 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 and to, to bring to the table to shift the conversation about helping the humans that are doing the work. And I think that if we look at um, one of our meetups that we've launched recently, relaunch is a lean change management uh, meetup, which the next one's on the 3rd of December. And it's yes. a great meetup. I could, I was gutted I couldn't go to the last one. 3rd so of December. That's right. We're talking about right. changing the world. This is, this is going to be the longest show notes ever. <laughs> I've written so many notes while we've been talking. It's going to be like a page of recommendations. So this is great. That's a, uh, thank you. <laughs> lean um, change meetup, 3rd of December. Yeah, but it's about trying to help change, get it. And we're working with the CMI, we're working with all the various change groups to bring it together, saying let's have a bigger voice, let's, let's focus on the human um, and let's bring it back to, to, to people because I think that a lot of that gets lost. I mean, mm. I sit in meetings and discussions of people going, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have all these resources and we'll get rid of all these people and, you know, all these resources. That, people, they're, they're people. Mm. Um, they've got lives, got FT. aspirations, no, yeah, <laughs> and, and they've got value to add, right? So, so let's treat them with the level of respect, right? And I think there's that human element that's missing in a lot of discussions we have, and I'd like to uh, think that we could bring that up. Hmm. Excellent. Um, so this has been an amazing conversation. Is there anything else you wanted to add to it? Anything else you wanted to plug? Any other insights you had that you wanted to share? I think you've shared so much. It's going to help a lot of people. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, look, I think I think agile is something that that whether it's real agile or fake agile, I think it's a sort of it's a tagline that says the world is changing and we need to change with it, mm. or the change will be done to us. And I think you know, as change makers, I think we have an opportunity to to help the change land well. Inverted commas. Um, we can make a change that's respectful of the human, that helps the teams and drives a value for the businesses and companies and government agencies and people we work with. So I think we have a great opportunity ahead of us, right? The converse of that is that if we don't help, we'll, we'll, we'll inverted commas, become this agile thing where we're open and transparent to the teams and that information is used to market and manage teams and we don't change anything. Yeah. So I think there is a genuine ability to make the world a better place, to make the world of work a better place, to change the 70% of people that are disengaged, to make them really happy about what they do. And I think that's something we as change makers have an opportunity to do. Brilliant. Well, I'm going to close out on that. Peter, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today at Custard Cumbia. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. <laughs>